Welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Alan Collins. I'm the partner who heads up the abuse team at Hugh James, and I'm joined by Professor Michael Salter, Professor of Criminology at the University of New South Wales. Hi, Michael. Great to be with you, Alan. Thank you very much, and great to have you with us again. And what we're going to be discussing is the report that was recently published, which you co-authored with Dr. Tim Wong, The Impact of COVID-19 on the Risk of Online Child Sexual Exploitation and the Implications for Child Protection and Policing. So quite a title for an interesting topic, because all throughout lockdown, concerns were raised about children being at risk and children who were already at risk sort of falling off the radar and so on. And there was this real concern that children who were at risk were being exploited and so on. And this report that you co-authored with Tim Wong is rather timely because we are certainly in the UK heading out of lockdown, hopefully. I know others got a bit longer to go, and um, particularly in Australia. So I thought, well, let's look at this report and have a chat about it, hence the subject for this podcast. So why did you decide, Michael, to investigate, carry out this piece of research? Look, Alan, I mean, basically COVID-19 has been a major shock to child protection systems all around the world. So the primary way in which we safeguard children is really through external oversight. We rely in my country on mandatory reporters or just external supervision by, you know, teachers, doctors, police officers, people outside the home who are able to oversee sort of a child's safety. And so what's occurred, of course, with COVID-19 is that kids are stuck at home. There's a lack of external oversight, um, which means they might not be safe if the parent is an abuser. But if the parent isn't an abuser, the parent is actually working. So, you know, for a lot of people, their parent actually wasn't particularly active in supervising the child because the parent is also juggling their other commitments. So a lot of concern about the risk to children, particularly as COVID-19 drove children online in unprecedented numbers in order to continue their schooling. Kids were online for recreation. They were online for socialising. So we had a huge group of kids online. We also had huge groups, of course, of adults online. And we know that For example, the consumption of adult pornography significantly increased during COVID-19. So it actually makes sense that if we're talking about the offender population who's accessing illegal content, that they might be seeking out illegal content of, of child sexual abuse material, or they might be looking to make contact with children who are online. At the same time, as I said, our normal child protection mechanisms are no longer functioning. So that's really what prompted this study. Okay. And so your research involved you contacting law enforcement agencies and those concerned with detecting online crime and enforcement and so on. From the looks of the report, you had a good response. 
Yeah, that's right. So we went out through the tip lines. There's about 50 hotlines in different jurisdictions around the world that are tasked to take reports of online abuse and child sexual abuse material. So we we distributed a survey to them. We distributed the same survey to specialist law enforcement through Interpol and Europol, who work specifically in the online child abuse space. And what we were asking them was, what's been your experience of COVID-19 in terms of what's been the impact on your professional practice? How has your work changed? But also, what is your view? What have you been seeing in relation to offender behaviour and also child risk-taking? So the survey was really designed to take the temperature of the online child protection system. How is it functioning under COVID-19? What's the views of professionals about what offenders are getting up to, what are professionals seeing offenders do. We also gave people the option to opt into an online interview. So once they'd completed the survey, they could then opt into an interview where we spoke to them for about an hour about their experiences during COVID. Excellent. And let's look at the research, the feedback that you got from those questionnaires and the surveys and so on. And it unsurprisingly, maybe, many found lockdown very challenging because it meant for many of those concerned with detection enforcement, they actually had to work from home, which of course created issues in itself given the subject matter. Yeah, that's right. So if you work in this space, then necessarily part of your job is dealing with illegal content. So typically child sexual abuse material. But if you're a police officer, you're dealing with highly sensitive data pertaining to criminal investigations. And so it, it disrupted working in a range of ways. It meant sometimes people were working from home. They could only be in the office for a brief period of time, which limited their, their ability to manage cases. There were some jurisdictions that actually permitted police to deal with illegal content at home, which I thought was interesting. But mm-hmm. most jurisdictions required them to come to work. We had police officers who said, this is great. I love working from home. You know, I can pat my dog and some police officers really enjoyed it. But, but, but on the whole, it just made it really difficult in an already complicated area of work. Yeah, sure. And of course, that feeds on into the fact that the research showed that basically offending or potential offending had increased. If you're having to work difficult circumstances anyway, and with the impact of lockdown on the practicalities of, of the work, and then you find that you've got an increase in offending, that presents its own challenges as well. Yeah, so look, there was strong consensus across the survey that offender behaviour had increased across the board. So they were accessing more child sexual abuse material. Online offender communities were more active. There was more attempts to groom and lure children. And also that children were taking more risks online, so they were more vulnerable online. And so, you know, there there was a large caseload, large number of reports coming into the tip lines, into police. They were more complicated. Professionals had less time and space to manage those cases. Another key challenge, particularly for law enforcement, was actually their ability to execute search warrants to to go out into the field. They might not be actually permitted to go out into the field because it posed an infection risk. Even once they'd actually gathered a, a brief of evidence, you know, did they then want to pass that on to prosecutors? 
In some jurisdictions, courts were shuttered, so courts were no longer actually proceeding with hearings. And, you know, there's there's certain requirements about how soon court proceedings need to begin after charges have been laid. So, you know, police were having to, to make decisions. Do we even charge this person? You know, do yeah. we proceed with this matter? Because we might be creating a backlog of cases. And the concern was actually that once courts reopened, the courts would be forced to actually throw out cases because they didn't have time to prosecute. Sure. There's a lot there to digest. So let's start with the fact that the research showed that children, young people were taking more risks. Was there any reasons given why children and young people were taking more risks during the pandemic, during the lockdown? They were just online more. So it was just a function of spending more time online. A key issue that came up, particularly in the interviews, and we'll be publishing some more on this, was the frustration from both police and also from tip lines about how unsafe the platforms are, that that kids were on these platforms, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Kick, and so on, that are well known that offenders are also on those platforms and that actually technology companies had disinvested in online child protection during the pandemic. So that online safety teams in social media companies had actually been stood down or had reduced hours as a result of COVID-19. So you've got more kids online, there's more abuse happening online on social media platforms, but social media platforms have reduced their ability to manage those complaints. And so both police and tip lines were saying, that one of the reasons they were getting more reports was that kids were trying to deal with the abuse through social media safety teams and they weren't getting a response. So they were being forced upstream to the tip lines and to police. Right, okay. Well, we'll come back to that in due course. But moving on to offenders, it seems that the research suggests that offenders are very adaptable. And so they seem to have been able to take advantage of the situation that was being presented. And whilst they may not necessarily have physical access so easily, for want of a better term, to young people, nevertheless, they can find what they need in other ways. Yeah, so particularly dark web forums, traffic on these doubled, really large, significant amount of contact on dark web forums. We saw the emergence of competitions on these forums, so particularly webcams, offenders who have got quite elaborate strategies for luring kids onto live streaming apps and then manipulating them or coercing them in different ways into performing sex acts, which are then recorded and then the, the video is distributed. So, you know, the dark web forums where they were starting to have weekly competitions about who could get the best new live stream or the best new webcam or screen capture of a child. So it just gives you a sense of, as you say, the adaptiveness of offender communities and unfortunately their ability to use, you know, dark web technologies in order to share strategies for abusing kids and to compete with one another to abuse kids. So it's certainly where we saw a lot more connectivity between offenders online. And I also noticed in the research that it was found that children, young people had lost the ability to get guidance from, say, schools and their teachers, and so that they were looking on the internet effectively a substitute. They didn't know where else to go. And I guess that creates a risk in itself. 
So a lot of online safety education campaigns are rolled out through police or are rolled out through the tip line. Some of the tip lines do online safety work, but a lot of it actually involves going into schools and doing face-to-face talks, face-to-face workshops with, with kids. So with schools shuttered, what we saw, what we recorded in the survey was actually a drop in prevention and education activity that there was globally less prevention and education work going on during COVID-19 than there had been before COVID-19, despite the fact that there was increased risk to kids. So some some police and some agencies were really creative in terms of how they could get it out and get the message to young people and to, to parents. But it was certainly of concern for us on the research team that we saw a reduction or we recorded a reduction in prevention and education work at exactly the time where actually the community needed increased awareness. That is, I think, going to lead us on to our next podcast, because I think your report needs revisiting um, in another podcast. So thank you, Michael. Thank you, listeners. Please join us next week for our next podcast when I will continue this conversation with Michael. So thank you very much. Thank you for joining us and look forward to next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favourite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.